When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio repodcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflet. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas, and we are ready to bring you the final episode, Michael, <laughs> of season two of Podcast Horseman. You could say we are at the business end of things when it comes to this <laughs> season, Michael, and as such... And as such, you can call us the front of the plane because when you're in the business end, you are indeed all business. Did you get the joke? Did you get it? Did, you get it? Did, Did I get you it? Did I get, get it? it? Did you get it? Anyway, enough of me yammering on. You can follow this podcast on social media <laughs> at Twitter or Instagram. No, on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. This is what happens when I start getting excited. Or you can follow either one of your hosts. On Twitter also, you can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. You can uh, listen along with the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you subscribe, that'd be great. Uh, you want to follow on Spotify, you can listen on Acast, on Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also find the podcast linked on our Twitter feed every Friday at Podcast Horseman on Twitter. That'll be there through your Acast link. Um, if you want to leave us a review, uh, that'll be terrific, as every podcast you've ever listened to has told you. Five-star reviews help. Help us appear on searches, help us appear in charts, basically help more people talk themselves horse about the talking horse. And there's something in it for all of you. Any Anyone that wants to leave us a five-star review with a few words, they can be horrible, they can be nasty, they can be comments, they can be questions. Uh, you could get yourself inducted in the Hollywood Talk of Fame. And this week, it's a special call-out to anyone listening. Um, we are going to be recording the Season 2 recap uh, in the tradition of the Season 1 one, where we just talk about some of our best bits. Uh, there is a call-out currently on Twitter for you to leave your comments, your questions, your excuses to get read out on the podcast. We'll, uh, we'll read out some of the best ones in that recap, along with going through all our thoughts about the season as a whole. That's, again, at Podcast Horseman on the Twitter feed. Indeed. So just to paraphrase what Michael's just said there, to grab our attention with your questions, suggestions, at a pace less pedestrian than an equestrian stuck in detention with indigestion due to yeast congestion in the small intestine, if you'd like to get a mention. Or just, I don't know, just leave us, just leave us a comment, whatever you want to do. Either way... Send all the nice ones to me. It's Adam Nicholas, or send all the nasty ones to Michael Hamlet. <laughs> Michael Hamlet. That sounds good. Anyway, I I'm back after you've done that tongue twister. I was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. I deserve the crap. You get the good ones. <laughs> Listen, if you haven't had enough words, here's a few more because we have, for well, the last time in season two, we have the synopsis from Netflix, which is season two, episode twelve, out to sea. The important things in life become clear to Bojack when Todd moves out to join the improv comedy group on their special cruise ship. I believe this is the part where you say yes and, Michael Hamlet. <laughs> yes 
and it's a delicious cold open for the very end of this series. It's a very, very tidy little arrangement of scenes all coming together. It splits the screen into two from the very beginning. Uh, across horizontally rather than vertically, as is tradition, we see uh, in the top frame Diane asleep, still at Bojack ho Bojack's house, still slumped upside down over one of his lawn chairs. In the meantime, we see Mr. Peanut Butter having a very normal day, getting ready for work, um, driving in, greeting people, all that sort of thing. He's living what appears to still be his best life. Uh, it's quite good in that Diane's frame doesn't move at all, whereas Mr. Peanut Butter's does to show the passage of time, not a lot is happening in Diane's life. Um, she does wake up as Peanut Butter is in hair and makeup. She's pitching bad ideas for Pixar movies, terrible ideas for apps, all still while horizontal at different points in Bojack's house. She moves from the lawn chair into the living room, just splayed across his couch, uh, doing not a lot of much, to be honest. Uh, we then see that she's actually watching uh, an edition of HSAC WDTK KDTK LT. Oh, he's lost it. He's lost it. <laughs> oh, I nearly got all the way in at this season. She's watching an episode of Mr. Peanut Butter's Stupid Goddamn Quiz Show, uh, and she's actually smashing the rounds about things that Mr. Peanut Butter likes, uh, which, of course, is obviously ordinarily very silly, as he's interviewing one of the guests, but in this case, she's absolutely smashing it. Um, she's shocked out of her own slumberous state by Mr. Peanut Butter ending the show by staring down the lens to say that he loves her and he knows she's doing great things. This sort of shocks her into life, but not really, because there's just no life to be shocked into. Shocking her into life at this point is getting her vertical. She moves onto the uh, Bo Bojack's balcony, where the screen itself becomes vertical. She's leaning on the balcony. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter himself is all convivial. He's having a house party. Uh, we hear him say, Erica, where did that tooth come from? Which takes our error count up to nine for the series overall. But on the left-hand side of the screen, as they've now been split into vertical panels, he goes to the roof, Diane's spot where she would normally sit when the parties get a bit much, very unusually for him. Diane, in the right panel, turns and looks to the left and says, hey, but it's not Mr. Peanut Butter. The panel's open out. It's Bojack. We are joined at the very, very point where the last episode ended, where he's returned from New Mexico. Uh, the lines from last week, hey, are you still here? Yep, still here. And we start the episode here, exactly where we left the last one. This was deft stuff. This was brilliant, wasn't it? I love this intro in terms of, like any good show, and it happens on many different shows, most recently the one I can think of is Breaking, uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, did this wonderfully well with Jimmy and Kim on that show. But the I am always excited when I see a split screen happen because mm -hmm. I know that there's going to be some wonderful stuff happens and the juxtaposition between the two is always going to be great. But, Michael, I believe the show that you might have been referring to was <coughs> HSACWDTKDTKTLFO, if I'm not oh, mistaken. God damn it, it's your week, all right. Something sorry. along those lines. You can tell one of us was prepared way ahead of schedule this week, <laughs> can't you? Has decided to get his Lincolns in. The only reason I know that is because Mr. Peanut Butter's exceptional, exceptional little replica alarm clock that he had of his <laughs> giant head from the show. There you are. There's one for free from Horse Around. But yes, what a wonderful start this was. And I, I love watching the two characters go alongside each other. And that moment where we think there's this weird, hey, hey, and they use it. But then it gets the way as well, if you really, really are nerdy about this kind of stuff, if you watch as the Diane screen expands and sort of makes the Mr. Peanut Butter side disappear. Bojack's placement is exactly where Mr. Peanut Butter is. It's just so beautifully done. And let's not forget, Peanut Butter sitting on the spot where Diane would normally be on the roof as well. That is just a dog just looking around the house for its for its owner, essentially. 
it's quite sweet in how those the framing subverts your expectations as well. So we've seen when the horizontal, it's Diane laid flat. She can't yeah. move. She, having quite a significant crisis of mental health versus Mr. Peanut Butter using it to go through the days. That is as if there's almost like stop motion action. You see him move from one thing to the next thing to the next thing because that's the journey of his day. When they move to the split screen vertically, Diane has literally got back on her feet, but in no other aspect has she done that. Whereas this brings Peanut Butter back to a stop He's actually, that narrow frame is him not being able to move along with stuff. It's brought him to a stop. Do you not think there's a weird, I thought there was something about it where it's reality and fiction. So, because I always saw peanut butter when he's horizontal being like laid back peanut butter because he's going mm. to do his job, isn't he? It's all fake. He's doing the Hollywood stuff. He's like not really doing real life. It's all Hollywood fiction BS. And then you get Diane, who's not really doing real life either because she's just getting drunk. She's eating junk food. She's lying horizontally and she's watching Mr. Peanut Butter on the show. However, when they go vertical, it's reality. Diane has managed to get herself stood up and having to face reality as she stands up and has all them little moments with her dictaphone trying to come up with ideas. Whereas Peanut Butter's reality is, I'm alone in the house and dog needs someone to look after him. I do like that very much. You know, we've not even hit the credits yet. This show's not good, even hit the credits. Let's just call that the So, following on from the credits... Um, do you know what? Mo- Sorry, I make, I make that joke a lot at the moment. And one day, I'm just warning <laughs> everybody, one day I'm just going to end it. I'm going to end the podcast abruptly and you're going to have to wonder what happens. <laughs> that five-minute runtime that appears on people's podcast feed. It's going to be like, wait a minute, what's up? Is it cut? Nah. Through? No, no, we just, just killed it. Nah, we, couldn't top, we couldn't top the cold open. That's the trick, because we're going to leave a large chunk of one hour. And it's just dead air. <laughs> the real fans will know. They'll listen for what is effectively a hidden track episode of Podcast <laughs> Um, Mirroring Diane as the show starts to reel, we are zoomed in hard on Bojack, who is upside down on his boat, being shouted awake by Princess Carolyn with the usual motivational tactics. He's uh, asleep, he's drunk, his boat is parked in his pool uh, because he's decided that he's a man of the sea now, just basically by calling Princess Carolyn a wench, things like that. He's not really committed to the bit. She's waking him up with a broom uh, because they're going to the opening of an orphanage. As it turns out, Bojack has funded this without realising. It's a really, really cute callback to this. When uh, Princess Carolyn got hold of him once in New Mexico before he stomped on his phone, she went through a series of things that he had to be interested in. He said he was interested in none. One of them included the orphanage, which is based on a conversation they had at Herb's funeral. As it turned out, Bojack was needling her to find out about residuals for horsing around. He said he didn't want them. That instead has been enough in the time that he's been off the grid and the massive amount of money that he was making from those DVD residuals has been enough to fund an orphanage. Um, Princess Carolyn suggests that kind of by accident, effectively, he's become a hero. Bojack, still trapped in the events of what took place in episode 11, simply doesn't care. He goes to open the orphanage nonetheless, where the owner of the orphanage, played quite dutifully by Ricky Gervais, is extremely grateful and has arranged for the orphans to do a little presentation for him, to have a bit of a chat with him. Bojack gently mocks them for their various celebrations and their kind gestures, but not just because he's an arsehole. He's kind of really struggling to tolerate that they're referring to him as a good person. He reminds the orphans that their parents are dead or just didn't want them, uh, which is... A bit of a shock to some of the younger ones who've never maybe considered why they're in this building with all these other parentless children. Um, But it's all just really for him to say, I don't understand how people live. How do they get up and say, yeah, let's do it. I don't know how it is. And that in itself is, well, to say the least, a bit of a mood killer. And that's a lot considering that he's opening an orphanage. Bojack has found a place where there are people that objectively have got a reason to be as like dejected with the state of affairs as he actually is. 
and he's somehow made things even worse. This whole orphanage, you're a hero, I can't cope with being a hero element is so perfect for BoJack Horseman, the TV show, because we are, well, look, we're still, we're not even burning. We're literally on fire from what we saw happen in New Mexico. Charlotte has asked him to get out of her house because he's nearly had sex with her teenage daughter. And he's now in a place where children without parents are calling him a hero. There's no accident here. There's no accident. And there's a horrible, weird thing here where he knows he should be being punished by the world. And somehow the world is just like, no, we're just going to give you all these things and make you f- and, and all these nice accolades that should make you feel really good, but you're not really a good person. So they're actually just going to make you feel a whole lot worse. And there's a brilliant bit here where he, I don't know if you picked up on it, but he starts up. He's about to go into the the uh, dialogue. Life is just a series of of, uh, of closing doors. The mm. dialogue from the previous episodes we saw in season one, where he's talking to. Um, Vincent Adultman, I believe it is. And th- <laughs> how many times that conversation comes back over this? But I just thought it was great that he starts up by saying, life is just a series of, and then kind of cuts off and still says some pretty dark, dark and sad things, but he, he sort of stops himself. What is it about Bojack wants to talk to children about his deepest, darkest problems? I was just thinking that on both occasions, he's picked three children. It just so happens that one time they were <laughs> all on each other's shoulders, <laughs> and this time they were in an orphanage. Yeah. And he kind of sort of lent in that direction with their... Uh, with Penny, we saw last week as well when they were in the car together. Obviously, not quite as young as these young kids, but she's still younger. And he kind of like chucks, wants to chuck the weight of the world on them long it's, before they're ready for it. They, uh, it's that old phrase, isn't it? They f you up, your mum and dad. He's mirroring what his mother did to him, picking those moments when you are at your most influential to leave. It's not a mark, is it? It's a scar that you're going to leave on people when they're that young. So does that make this larking around then? Does it? <laughs> I don't. I can't better think about it. Look, <laughs> we, need, we need to get on to Bojack meeting Lenny Turtletop because brilliantly, in a, in a wonderful reference to something that happened in an episode that was completely overshadowed by the death of Corduroy Jackson Jackson, the CGI head scans that were happening uh, has allowed them to finish the film without Bojack. He went away. Uh, Turtletop makes a reference about how it's cost him 50 grand, which considering the figures that we've heard thrown on in Hollywood, that's chunk change. So Bojack's disappearance hasn't really mattered to the studio. Bojack, I think, wanted to wear the weight of his absence, and Turtletop has taken that away from him. He's pulled the rail completely, and it gets worse. He notes that the CGI computer Bojack was so good <laughs> that they went back and replaced the real Bojack in all the films that he'd already that he'd already shot before he went AWOL. All the things he'd done with Kelsey, that obviously Turtletop wasn't even a particularly big fan of, that's now been replaced by computer Bojack. Turtletop goes into detail how it's so real, it just goes in a long tirade about how it'll make Daniel Day-Lewis look like shit. How it'll make Daniel Day-Lewis' wife a widow. He conforms to a number of different Jewish stereotypes that Bojack has to reference because they're so on the nose. And then finally, he invites Bojack to the premiere of the film, a screening uh, prior to it obviously going out to the world, with incredibly high hopes for its success. Lenny is in notably good form. Now the film is over the line. This is a different Lenny Turtletop from the one we saw firing Kelsey, but the same one as the one that we saw back when Todd and Mr. Peanut Butter created a month, a bi-monthly curated box of snacks. This is a man that is happy with the output as long as it's put out. He's not really so fussed about the quality. This is how he survived in Hollywood as long as he has. Yeah, because it's not about that, is it? That's the thing. It's, Bojack might have romanticised all of this. You think about where he was at the very beginning with this. This was like everything he's ever wanted. 
Now he couldn't care less about this film. There's no connection to it whatsoever. But ultimately, it is just another gig to everybody else. It's just another film in the Hollywood sort of machine, isn't it? It goes in, one end, it comes out the other end, and if it's made some money, great. And somehow, because probably they're so used to all this and Hollywood was just fake as anything, they just replace them. They don't even need them anymore. And there's a comment, there's a big deeper comment we hear about is filmmaking dead, essentially. I think that's the narrative we're trying to spin here because do they even need actors anymore? Because how many times have we seen in real life where they've actually used like replacements, having the CGI replacements of all characters who have since passed on? Turtle Top here was quite abusive to the, the tech nerds, as he called yeah. them, that were able to create it. And they specifically asked, please don't call us that. And he just did anyway, because they've created everything he needs. He's got everything yeah. he needs out of a situation. And certainly in the case of the actor, he might as well have just brought Bojack in for that first day. It's funny you mentioned that about how the films are starting to exist without the need of the actors. We are still, as we're recording, by you can tell by the sound quality of this call and this recording, we're still doing this at a distance from one another. Um, we're in a timeline in the world. I hope somebody who's listening to this in 2030 where they can't believe this was ever a thing. But yeah. all, made, all major gatherings are still off. So we are in a world without music festivals, without sport, um, without wrestling, a shared hobby of us, things that would happen with crowds that simply cannot. Um, already we are seeing with the Premier League in England, ways in which they are adding crowds via CGI or via effects mm -hmm. or via at the very least noise. All of a sudden, the world has begun to be able to operate without the things that we thought it needed. And Hollywood was in front of this. The real Hollywood, let alone yeah. Hollywood in Bodak, was in front of this by several years, for better and worse, for the good of the art sometimes. Um, if you think about the very tragic death of Heath Ledger, there was a lot of credit given to how the completion of the films that he was working on were made, specifically where like he wasn't necessarily placed by a lot of actors. They were just able mm. to piece things together. Um, yeah. That is for the good of the art, but it shows how quickly that can be abused for the good of the studio's coffers. Um, Bojack, I thought it was very pointed that this chat took place in the same room where Bojack had his audition, where he begged effectively, yes. where, where he gave his soul, he gave everything to become secretariat. I thought that was quite a telling comment on how it happens to all of us. We go to that place, we go to that dream job, we go to that dream destination where it feels like you finally made it. All you ever wanted was to get behind that door or to get to that place, wherever it is. And then eventually that place can be the stuff of nightmares. That place can be the stuff that anyone that might have had that job that they dreamed of can suddenly become the, the last place you want to see. This was once the destination where Bojack sealed what he thought was the reason why he got into acting and now he's in there being told that he might as well have not bothered turning up in the first place. There's a lot of heartbreak wrapped up in that room for him. It, it is. And it kind of, at the very bottom of it, it disappears a little bit because the way it's presented, it's just like, Oh, it's just, it's every other day in Hollywood. We just find a way to make the film or what have you. But yeah, you just can't get away from this was a dream for him. This was, he even says to the point of like, what was the point in everything else? If we don't, if I don't make this film, and now, really, what is the point? What's the point in him? Like, right now, what's the point in Bojack Horseman? Because this whole career renaissance, he's having his little uh, Matthew McConaissance, isn't he? The Bojack, Horseman, <laughs> the Bojack Horseman revival here. And ultimately, the revival's happened without him. Just like the book was written pretty much without him, other than he sat and talked to Diane. These things, Bojack is less relevant probably now than he was... Like his sorry, less important as as a presence, maybe than he even was when he was actually on horse and around. And is that not even worse? Well, it's interesting that in the, how it's used in this episode as well, because he's gone from the orphanage where he's 
refuse to let anybody say anything good about him because he knows himself and he knows what this is. And we'll go briefly next to an interaction he has with Todd, where he is, again, so down on himself, it's to the detriment of the situation he's in. Yet he's gone to the one place where he will take the validation mm. and he can't get it for that. So if you trace back to Horsing Around, where nobody's going to ever validate it for that, he's going to be, hey, aren't you the horse from Horsing Around? For the rest of his days, he still needs it, even when he doesn't want it. And now mm. he's not even going to get it because a robot has done it better than he ever can. It's a, a spiral and it's, well, it's evident of why people can fall into all the mental health traps that Bojack has fallen into, not yeah. just because you're an arsehole. Like he's done things that have, that have put him in that place. But then at the same time, that world has created plenty of traps for him to fall into. Absolutely. And it's like, it's the cycle, isn't it? All the cycles that he's had enforced on him by his parents and then he's passed them on. And now we find him in a point where he's essentially done the worst thing he's ever done at this point. Mm. And instead of waking up in a world of disaster, yes, he's been on a bit of a bend down and got very drunk and crashed his boat into the back of his own <laughs> pool at this point, uh, which I'm still not sure how he did, but all right. Um, but... Not just that, he's everything about him now is like it's meaningless. It's pretty much what where we're at now with Bojack, and yeah, it's just not where he probably wants to be at this point, I would imagine. And should be getting punished for something along the lines, and he's not. It seems like more doors appear to be opening for him, even though in his head, it's just a, life is just a series of closing doors. As usual, a man in Hollywood doesn't see the doors that are always opening for him. Meaningless, yeah. meaningless is a great way to segue into the next scene with Bojack specifically. He's round at his place with Todd. Todd is in the process of packing up to go on the uh, giggle ship. More on that plot for Todd <laughs> later on. Um, and while they're kind of reminiscing, Bojack is extremely detached from the conversation, but Todd is reminiscing about his first night in Bojack's place. Todd talks about making Bojack a stack of pancakes, pancakes after pancakes after pancakes. Bojack loved them, so he just kept making them. Um, and then when he took a nap, he woke up and he said, thanks for the pancakes, I'll get out of my house. Bojack, even though it's a story that doesn't paint him in the best light, is something that Todd is telling with affection, and yet Bojack doesn't really have any memory of it, or certainly he's not trying to tie any sentiment to his relationship with Todd. Um, Todd is finally going. He's packed up, he's ready to go. Um, he says to Bojack, we had some good times. Bojack kind of glibly responds, did we? And then Todd takes it on the chin, is hurt by it. Brilliant, again, sort of vocal performance here. Um, mm. But he says, I hope you can find a way to be happy, Bojack. And leaves a gap. Bojack turns and says, yeah, well, and then he turns around looking for Todd, who has already left the place. Bojack's missed his window. This is him, as you say, believing this to be a closed door when it had been open over and over again for him to, over over again. to share with him. He just hadn't seen it. Um, we go to the screening for Bojack. Uh, <laughs> we're watching the last shot of Secretary from point of view of Bojack, and it's Secretary <laughs> holding a baby, and this is the last scene of the film. Remember, we've seen Secretary in real life. It ends with him throwing himself backwards off a bridge. It's as bad as yeah. it gets. Bojack witnessed the darkness of that. He's very much wore that life himself, and this was the role he was born to play, tragic as that is. But not in this film. Robot Bojack is holding a baby, saying, I'm going to win the race. The race of life. So instead of Secretary killing himself, Secretary has brought new life into this world. And yet... <laughs> It gets a standing ovation. The people do not know what Hollywood is. They do not know what they want. It's getting Oscar buzz. Turtle Tob is there, says it's going to be getting the Oscar push. He introduces Bojack to Anna Spornacopita, who is the Oscar whisperer, she's called. She's going to do everything it takes to make sure he wins that Oscar. Um, she notes that, uh, you know, he's not really in the movie, and she notes that he should probably do a bit of exercise. So even now, he's still not quite right. Um, 
she tells him to go and work out and notice that as long as people don't really know him, they'll learn to love him. They've done research into how much people should really know the human being. If they know them too much, they'll go off him. It's all this one long conversation about every element of this being artificial. It's never been about the film, which is fake, to win the award, which is fake, because they've decided as a studio that there's going to be Oscar push onto this uh, from support that isn't really real. Because if they really supported him, it wouldn't work and people would get to know him and they wouldn't like him. Uh, In a great moment where Bojack captures how phony this all is, or at least how he doesn't feel connected to it, he says, what am I doing here? And he Mm -hmm. questions everything and he races out on his boat to get Todd. Um, We are going to talk a bit more about Todd shortly and why he finds himself on the giggle ship. But that scene for such a, like, I don't know, it was so economical in how it spoke again in detail about Hollywood. Uh, We've talked before in this series, especially about Bojack Horseman quite bravely pulling back the curtain on things we may not know about that world. Things that maybe writers have lived in, films that directors, everyone that works on the show that lives in LA or has been in New York or whatever, that we, the viewer, the everyman may not be quite aware of. And if you've ever been cynical about films with Oscar buzz before, then it certainly made you think about the ones you've watched and thought, oh, I don't, I don't really get why that's a big deal. Well, we do. It's because there's an Oscar whisperer working behind the scenes to make it so. This was, this was damning stuff. Someone just choosing the narrative that's going to fit best for that particular season, choosing the person whose narrative, quote-unquote narrative, fits best as well. And incredibly, there's a lovely thing to do here with Anna Sponaco, but I'm just talking about They've done the research, haven't they? They've, well, they've done the research about how much people like to know about celebrities. So in there, in a roundabout way, what she does is this thing where instead of it being what we know it as, it is Hollywood stars and celebrities, what do we know? <laughs> no, genuinely, what do we know? Do we know things? Let's find out. And they reach a point where once you've found out, and if you don't like it and the narrative doesn't fit, people are done with you. They're absolutely finished with you, as was when they were trying to make Bojack look stupid on the show, go back to the actual quiz show. It was never about just organic winning or losing. It was, that was an hour of there. Bojack needs to lose this. Daniel Radcliffe needs to win. That was the story. That was the narrative that fit. The narrative now that fits this is we've created this incredible performance by a fake computer horse. (laughs) (laughs) What a sentence that is. And now they've decided because they created it, it's now worthy of Oscar buzz. Nothing to do with Bojack. Their creation, their choice, their manufacture. Michael, it's hard not to be cynical at this point, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I like that now you say that as well. A brilliant take. That Daniel Radcliffe was there to plug a movie. He said as much as well. that's it. There's a a great line, which I didn't read out in the dialogue, that feeds into this, and that I just remember now, where Anna says, um, it's it's an honour. And Bojack cuts her off, expecting to hear the phrase, it's an honour to meet you. And he's about to say, thanks very much. I appreciate your support. But she cuts him back off and says, no, it's your honour. Like, you meeting me is going to be the thing that makes you. It's not about you. And as an actor, as a performer, which Bojack believed he was in this film until he was lifted out of it completely, Mm. what a thud back down to earth. It may be why he actually does take a moment of introspection and says, "Why? what am I doing here? It Mm. plays to an actor's vanity, I suppose, to have their skill set taken away from so brutally because it's become a numbers game, effectively. They have things that they can chase that have nothing to do with the quality of the work. Yeah, and it's one of those moments as well, this, where it's a brilliant payoff to the fact that 
ever since the, ironically, on the set of Secretariat where Bojack couldn't just nail that line, what are you doing here? Time and time again, we've seen it reused throughout the season, whether it's been in serious moments, daft moments, whatever. And then at this point, the very last episode, they turn it around and give it to us. What am I doing here, Bojack? What am I doing here after all that? And he doesn't even know because what's no. the point? What's the point in any of this? None of it makes any sense. He'll never deliver that line either to himself or anybody else and with the potency of when he doesn't realise he's doing it. Never under and, a spotlight could he do that. And after all those takes, after all the takes, after poor Deborah lost her face, Michael, after all of this <laughs> stuff has happened, right, it didn't matter because they fired, they fired Kelsey because they went and got a scene in the library, but they've reshot the whole film in post. None of this matter. Literally nothing mattered on that film set. And they're all better for it. How <laughs> Listen, that? Things have worked out because in Hollywood, especially for the men, the rich men, they always do. And yeah. they've been allowed to coast on this for decades and decades and decades. And Lenny Turtletop is 100 years old for the references of the actors he knows. And this is all he's ever known. The world has changed from to an unrecognisable level in the last 100 years. But it's not really for any tilt yeah. He's been able to make the same mechanisms work over and over again. Uh, regular Michael is going to be replaced by Robot Michael here because we're going to move to Todd's plot before we move back to Bojack rather than factoring him in at the end because all does coalesce for those two. Uh, we did sort of allude to the fact that Todd would be going on the giggle ship in this episode, which we have heard about before mm. with Todd's delving into improv. Uh, we see him with Copernicus, who has taken a liking to him. No shock there. Everybody takes a liking to Todd. So the feeling is very mutual because uh, he's wowed Todd with his vast array of butt jokes, uh, which Todd thinks are just ingenious improv. Uh, Copernicus notes such things as he's a level nine and he's going on his giggle ship never to return. But just to be clear, this is definitely about improv and absolutely about improv. This is 100% improv. They're on the giggle ship. Uh, Todd finds out uh, not really to his chagrin that he's not even going to get paid, even though Copernicus notes that it's just really there for those guys to practice improv and them to sell cheap cocktails for $9 a shot. Um, he's going to live in this grotty cabin, which is an upgrade for him from a sofa to a mattress, so he's able yeah. to see the positive side, which Copernicus likes. But Copernicus suggests that he imagine it be somewhere better as a way to hone his improv skills. He says that's what he does in his cabin. Um, later on, uh, the gang are doing some improv and they see Brian, the, uh, the very cynical, stubborn, needs-to-chill-out improv guy from the previous episode that had been taken away for extra conditioning, we were told. This is all about improv and nothing else. He's had his hair shaved. It turns out that he was masking a bit of a, a baldness problem underneath that forward-facing fringe. Um, he's been decked as black eyes, as all sorts. They tell him, they tell Todd, they tell us, they tell the gang that he's not been doing his tasks, uh, at which point we wonder if he's been made to do, like, slave labour in the truck. But it's improv tasks. He says, look, I can clean windows better. And then goes to the trouble of miming the, <laughs> the act of cleaning windows, which would imply that his improv sweeping hasn't been any good or something like that. We don't know if it's real grunt work or not. Um, hey, mate, he's, he's just not been getting the ratings from his peers. I think that's the problem. <laughs> he's just, he's you know, it's it's all about demographics. He's um, got to do better with this. Uh, but Todd believes that he can sort things out with Copernicus. He believes he's built up enough of a relationship to go and see him, figure it out. Uh, however, when he goes to Copernicus's cabin, he finds a poster on the wall uh, in the style of Shawshank where it blows open and he's able to see this giant hole which opens out into Copernicus's beautiful, almost like 
homage to a, the Goonies or a pirate film. It's just treasure chests overflowing with money. It doesn't look like real cash that you can do anything with. He just no. wants to live a luxurious life on the giggle ship in his slightly bigger cabin full of money and da, 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 101 butt jokes. It turns out Copernicus wasn't improvising all those butt jokes all along. He was reading them out, which he can't do when he catches Todd because Todd's got his book, Nicholas. Um, this won't do. Obviously, he gets the guards to seize Todd. This, of course, takes us back to the central plot with Bojack. He, uh, he bursts into one of uh, Todd's improv classes because, as it turns out, the guards haven't taken him away to any great sense of danger, but to the improv show that he was tried to do later on in the day for all the customers that have gone on the giggle ship. Um, Bojack tries to help him, but he can only do it in the form of a suggestion because Todd's so goddamn good at improv that he has to follow it through. Bojack articulates a long suggestion in which he lays out a scenario where Todd has to improvise coming back to live with him. And because Todd's such a professional, he follows through with it and decides to leave with Bojack. They try and uh, bail out the boat, but the guards are there again. They stop them in the hall and they've got Nicholas improvised guns. Da, da, da. Oh, no. Todd counters with an improvised smoke bomb and then an improvised flamethrower. But the guards improvise wearing sunscreen. It's FPF a million. <laughs> so they improvise using their strangle machine, which is going to strangle Todd to death. Todd is is like sort of recoiling in horror. He's choking to death. Bojack is no selling the entire thing and realizes how stupid it is. But Todd reminds him, if you die in improv, you die in real life. That felt like a dig at another very popular animated show. Yeah. Um, so Bojack lazily improvises a guard killing machine boop 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 to defeat them uh, one of the improvisers notes he's got an improvised family but bojack goes through with the killing nonetheless he then releases todd from the improvised strangle machine and the two of them bail together uh copernicus tries to stop them by noticing by noting should i say what a piece of bojack was and always has been to todd but then Todd, uh, Bojack, in a flash of improvised inspiration, remembers the pancake story and notes it was actually hash browns. He says it was uh, it was a situation that made him feel good because he ate all those hash browns and ate and ate and ate, and it felt nice to be able to help Todd. Todd, as he said, letting you stay was the best thing I ever did on purpose. You're my best friend, Todd. And that is the moment where Todd realises that there is something to cling on to here in the real world with Bojack rather than the improvised one on the giggle ship. Um, because this will be our only chance to talk about it. The world of improv, Copernicus, the giggle ship, and this definitely just being about improv. Your it's thoughts? definitely 100% just about improv. There are nothing, there's nothing here for you to read into further. Certainly not <laughs> about cults. Certainly, Michael, not about Scientology or anything that may or may not be associated with I never even made the connection, to be honest. Maybe. I've just heard there's been a few whispers online about that and I know I don't really agree with them because obviously this why, is why very would people much... start that why would people go and oh, I just think they're causing trouble uh, they're causing just, just, just causing trouble mate that's all it is causing trouble you're stinking rabble poised <laughs> the um the improvised shootout was sublime yes. Bojack yeah. comedy that traces all the way back to the kind of jokes that they were doing in season one in a time where the show itself I think it always had its identity we've talked on this podcast in a very reflective manner that the show yeah. always had its identity. But as a brand new viewer, you were led to believe that maybe you were getting a Family Guy, Simpsons, South Park adjacent show. And all of these kind of gags were played more for laughs than for character moments. We're two seasons deep now. We know what these jokes are. Bojack, as always, stoically no-selling what he deems to be farcical. He is the one. The show is a farce, and yet the 
titular character is completely outside of the farce. We've seen this joke over and over and again. It's always really funny because Todd, who commits to life, always commits to the bit and yeah. it's used to brilliant effect here. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say there, this is we're, we're very much at a point where Bojack Horseman has got its own voice now, hasn't it? Like one of the reasons why season one is always people tend to talk about that being the season where they're not sure about it is because Bojack was actually, they were trying to hook in two lots of audiences just in case the wise up clued up audience who want this great TV show, but also maybe get a few laughs for people who like the likes of Family Guy, stuff like that. The one of the quick, we'd find ourselves now at a moment where you see why Bojack is, it's the better tier of show, isn't it? It's, it's yes. better tier across the board because these jokes are there, but you've got Bojack literally standing amidst the whole stupidity Bojack is us going like, well, this is so stupid, but it's <laughs> hilarious because we also love Todd, who's completely and utterly committed to the part. But then how wonderfully they use the whole guise of improv to then bring in some beautiful moments. One of the most amazing lines, which I've never really picked up on until we did this watch through, letting you stay with me was the best thing I ever did on purpose. That is that mm. is a brilliant line. Like Power, power of two words there, on purpose. Power, yeah, on purpose, eh? Did it all on purpose, mate. Um, <laughs> incredibly, though, it tells you that Bojack knew this the whole time. And mm. he didn't just, I don't think he just remembers. I think when they're having that conversation in his apartment, when Todd is leaving, finally getting your sh together, Todd. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bojack is choosing to pretend he doesn't remember this because he wants rid of Todd. He wants rid of everyone around him. He thinks he's toxic for everybody and he doesn't care about anything until he remembers this. And I just think that's such a great line. Really do. Loved it. I want to talk about this briefly because I don't think it's something we've encountered before in such a... Mm, I, don't know what the, I, don't, I don't know what the phrasing is exactly here. Bojack Horseman, the show, is fantastic, as we've talked about a million times, at exposing the evil deeds and the evil doers of Hollywood, even if it's in the form of turtles and other animals and of that nature, hippos, um, but of the system and of the fact that a lot of things shouldn't work the way they do, mm. but they do anyway. They do. They're kind of, again, these are the opinions of Podcast Horseman and not even maybe of Adam Nicholas, they're just a Mike Lamblett for now. <laughs> this bodies Rick and Morty for me. Yeah. This line about if you die in improv, you die in real life, it's a line paraphrased from the pilot of Rick and Morty that goes a long way to justifying the most outlandish things I can come up with uh, to open our world out to the podcast a little bit more. We are both... Fans of Rick and Morty enough, but certainly don't consider it on the level of, Pog of Bojack Horseman. Um, they're very different shows, but they will have no doubt been compared by people that maybe don't know either of the shows. Mm. And Rick and Morty relies on kind of being able to do anything to do its jokes, where Bojack takes real life incredibly seriously in order to arrive at theirs. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like a <laughs> heavy shot. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess a lot of people, like, I should point out very, very quickly that I am not here to dive into the fandoms of either of these two shows because I like both shows. And mm. I, when I first watched Rick and Morty through, uh, loved it. I really loved the way they... It is wildly daft. It's stupid. It's comp It goes as far out as you want it to go, but yeah. it also grounds you in some really wonderfully serious and deep-toned things yeah. throughout the show, which I love. That's yeah. that's. A multiple, like two things, multiple faceted show that I really love. Um, but Bojack Horseman is a very different show because it, the heavy is first. That's the difference, I think, with yeah. Bojack. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, but actually, on top of that, just to, to try and detract a little bit, because while I do agree with you, I think, and I don't, I honestly don't think I've made that connection until you just mentioned it there, because I think they also kind of deliberately make it vague enough that you could get away with saying it's also technically a reference to the Matrix, because in the Matrix, if you die in the Matrix, you die in real yeah. life, don't you? And it's kind of that. It's such a wild notion, but that's what it felt like it was alluding to. But of course, you are absolutely right with the Rick and Morty stuff. It's one I'd never really seen it until then, and now that you've said it, I can't. I will never be able to unsay that. It's again. I, I apologise for us diverting here slightly for anyone that hasn't watched Rick and Morty, but it's even the fact that we're in conversation of things like strangle machines or SPF a million. These yeah. are things that we would see manifested in Rick and Morty. The magical <laughs> weapons, the magical use of things that are just otherworldly. It it just felt pointed, and I don't know if that's me mm. reading more into it or not. Um, well, and, it was, and it's weird. It's 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 a strange, it's a strange thing for them to do, but it might not be. You know, it might be just a, an overreach on my part. I don't think it's an overreach. I think this is the playful nature of um, the creators, RBW in particular. You would have had well, this is twenty fifteen for season two of BoJack Horseman. Mm. So it would have been twenty fifteen for season two of Rick and Morty as well. Obviously. The releases were sort of stretched out over a period between 2013 and 2014 for season one, mm-hmm. which meant that was a bit of a delay of getting to season two. So it's very, very possible that this is RBW being a bit playful because he's mentioned it so many times. And how many times have we seen him chuck a, a Z-list celebrity in there or yeah. a C-list from a show? And he even himself has said it's not ever like a personal thing. It's just mm-hmm. a... Oh, I'm well, just put that person in. That's quite a funny thing to do. I Apart thought about from, David Boreanaz today. Yeah. yeah. Apart from there's one joke he, I remember he says about Jared Leto, and I don't think it's been in yet, or maybe it is, has already been, I can't remember. It's the only time he ever said, if you ever hear me do a joke about that guy, f- that guy. <laughs> 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 because I thought that was wonderful. I always always stuck with me that. But yeah, I, I do I do imagine it's probably just a, a clever wink, because why not? Like, it's playful. We come from a, an alternative background in the wrestling world, where there's two shows that are currently competing head-to-head. How many times are you seeing little shots across the bow and winks? I am sure two animated shows that were taking place in 2015 probably had the same thing going on. And I'm glad that we're doing the podcast on this one. Anyway, <laughs> Princess Carolyn calls Bojack while he's on the boat. Todd Todd and Horsey, Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> A brand new show coming to Netflix soon, everyone. Todd and Horsey. <laughs> oh, I look forward to doing Rick Cass Mortman. Um, yeah, sorry, anyway... <laughs> Todd and Bojack are on the boat, uh, heading back, obviously, to, uh, to Bojack's place. But Princess Carolyn calls, saying that that New York playwright, Jill Pill, the other thing that he asked to ignore when he stomped on the phone in New Mexico, is still calling, uh, still wanting to get in touch. Um, she notes that Jill Pill knows Bojack from his other TV show, which startles Bojack into suddenly remembering her, having never been able to recall that name, Jill Pill, never ever, which is not a name you forget either. So it's taken the other TV show. But that is left alone for another day, which is what we'll do here, because Princess Carolyn has got Herb's ashes. She offers them to Bojack, who uh, 
decides to take them and thinks of a nice thing to do with them, which is to take them to the orphanage, which has since been renamed at the Herb Kazaz Orphanage. Or Jerb, because Bojack spelled the name wrong in his email. So the Jerb Kazaz Orphanage is, in Bojack's mind, the right way to pay tribute to Herb, to put that one to bed for him and to get away from the fact that there was previously an orphanage in his name. Even when he's done it, he's not paid enough attention to the email. And we have a Jerb Kazaz Orphanage. Um, to end the episode, and indeed Bojack's season, he is running up the hill absolutely hating it the hill outside his house it is of course the task that he's been asked to do as part of getting into shape for the big oscar buzz so there's a purpose to it but he collapses on the floor uh the baboon that we've seen running in virtually every episode that does seemingly does laps outside bojack's place up and down that giant hill outside his apartment uh we get the shot point of view from bojack lying on the ground looking up into the sun and then the baboon rather beautifully obscures the sun with his face to simply say in his like weathered, aged, husky voice that it gets easier. Every day it gets a little easier, but you got to do it. That's the hard part, but it gets easier. Uh, as far as he's concerned, he's talking about running. As far as Bojack's concerned, he's talking about living. Uh, as people that like to run and live, we can speak to the words of this baboon as being quite yeah. And then Absolutely. as Bojack's season comes to an end across some end credits, uh, we are gifted the tune of Avant Gardener by Courtney Barnett, which plays out with some severity. The quest that Bojack is now on is to basically find himself all over again as we move into season three, which we, of course, will do in a couple of weeks. A couple of notes on Princess Carol and Diane before we wrap up the plot, because their stories were very separate to Bojack's in this one. This wasn't a case of bringing the characters together, but they were mm. very substantial and very significant as a way to wrap up their arcs for season two. To Princess Carolyn first, um, Princess Carolyn and Ruda Baker are in their new offices, getting ready to furnish them. Um, Ruda Baker notices that they want to get some sofas because he's suggesting of what they'll get up to when business is closed for the day. He's extremely flirty. In fact, that seems to be all he's interested in. Uh, Princess Carolyn asks if they can just freeze in this moment. I want to remember how for just once in my life, she's interrupted by Ruda Baker's phone. Uh, <laughs> I thought you... <laughs> I thought you'd made a fart noise there. <laughs> She's interrupted by a swift fart from Ruda Baker. Well, it may as well have been because Ruda Baker absolutely stinks. Um, it turns yeah. out that him and Kate yeah. aren't getting divorced just yet. He says they are, but they haven't got around to it. It's lawyer stuff. You don't need to worry about it, Princess Carolyn. Silly woman over there. Um, she's wise to it. We're wise to it. He's clearly just enjoying playing both sides at this point. There is nowhere near the difficulty uh, that he seems to be protesting to Princess Carolyn as he protests his innocence. Later on, we see them back um, at Vigor for the very last time. She's got a desk packed up in a box, as has he. Um, they're getting ready to leave. Uh, Rudebaker's really excited because he's been wanting to call them all rat bastards. But as they go out into the, the hall, all the staff are gathered around Charlie Witherspoon, who is in tears because his dad, the boss, Mr. Witherspoon, has had a stroke. So Rudebaker does his spiel anyway, ending after calling them all rat bastards. <laughs> Saying, you can all stroke my big hairy smash cut to them in the lift. And Princess Carolyn saying, Well, we burned that bridge. I That's mean, a it's great, a hell of a, a, great a, gag. Hell of a joke. Um, oh. We haven't used this word yet in this episode, so now's the time. It's a powerhouse of a gag, but, it, <laughs> but it's been one long story to finally cut off any sympathy we might have had with Rudy Baker's plight has happened over the course of this episode. Like, we were allowed one each this episode that guy um but thankfully so it's so funny you said that because i literally had it in my head i was like as soon as he lets me talk here yeah, i'm gonna save that guy <laughs> <laughs> everybody gets one and that was ours but luckily princess carolyn thinks the same she rejects his kiss in the lift he wants a kiss her once kiss her twice this guy's a piece of shit. 
Um, he tries to gaslight her into changing her mind. He says, you're a single woman in your 40s. What chance do you have? Think you'll find a single guy that loves you like I do and makes you feel good about yourself? How dare he even assume he's doing that for Princess Carolyn? She simply scolds him on the spot, reminds him that her name is the one on the, biz on the business, which is, of course, something he asked for because he was trying to play her while he was still feeling the divorce. He's put the bullet in the gun and she's turned it back on him. Um, she leaves this total dickhead alone in the lift. And for the first time, and for the last time we'll see of the season, a smile comes across her face as she realises the opportunities that are there without him and all for her. This was some good, cathartic Princess Carolyn storytelling. This was such good shit, as another famous <laughs> person likes to say, Michael. But this is an earnest one, because as we all know, Ruda Bigger has been carefully trying to play Princess Carolyn for this whole season and we've seen men get away with so much bullshit in this season, like a lot across the board, just real bad stuff. And you were hoping that we were going to get some victories for the, the female characters in this show who have had a rough time since around about maybe episode six, I think, we've, we've both kind of had. Since, uh, the, uh, since the birth of all women, I think, is when women yeah. have had. Oh, that sorry, was, yes, of course. My mistake. Since <laughs> season one episode, in fact, since since the first advert for this, for this show came out back in the day. Um, yes, genuinely, I think this was so cathartic because you were kind of rooting for the two of them initially, I guess, technically, because they're going to start this new thing. Then we get some perspective and you realise that actually, if you hadn't picked up on it already, Rudabega is just a piece of shit and that's it, top to bottom. I mean, we pretty much clocked it from day one, but I cannot tell you how much I punched the air and go, go on, girl, Punt, like, properly punch the air with excitement when... Princess Carolyn leaves and he she leaves him in the lift and he says, come on, Carolyn. And she pauses and says, my name is Princess Carolyn. <laughs> and you are just sat there like, fucking yes. <laughs> Get in. Eat shit, Udebega, you piece of shit. And I'm going to enjoy bleeping each one of these out as we get to the end <laughs> later on because that guy is an absolute, he's a rat bastard, never mind everybody else. And it's nice to see. And ultimately... Love seeing the fact that she is now going to be moving into this whole new venture that is hers, and that is very exciting. Some really cute foreshadowing of that. Um, worth pointing out that obviously, when they're in the offices at various other points in the episode, she's always thinking of the business. Um, it's going to tie into something we're going to talk about briefly with Diane, but she talks about things that can happen in the office. Um, this will work really well over there. Yeah. We can have so and so over there, and all he's thinking about is finding a shagging sofa, a casting couch, effectively. Um, yeah. So it was hers more than in name. It was hers in emotion and it was hers in spirit. And things have gone exactly as they should have for the two of them. And as you say, it's nice to see the women win one at the end of a season when they've been pummeled. They always get it. They always get clobbered, but they've taken a kick in this one. And let's talk a little bit more about one of our women winning. The best one of all. Things haven't started so well for Diane, as we talked about in the cold open. But Princess Carolyn, another woman, offers her a lifeline. She uh, wants to give her a job as a celebrity tweet ghost writer. It's a far cry away from writing memoirs or writing in general, which she acknowledges. Um, but she says she's helping her because her life is a mess, not particularly because she believes in her. Princess Carolyn wants to take the rubble that she currently sees as her existence and share that rubble with somebody else. Women mm. are just better, aren't they? Um Diane, in trying to get good at this job and trying to treat it professionally, gets dressed for the first time in the three months that she's been staying with Bojack. She's back in her clothes in Elefante. She's agreed to meet Sextina Aquafina, who I think we can all agree we've missed if only because it's fun to say her name. Um, she spouts obnoxious cryptic bullshit 
not my words, hers, about what mm. she wants Diane to tweet through her account, and then just leaves to go get her, her blowhole bleached. Diane takes a long, hard sigh, and then here's Mr. Peanut Butter's voice in Elefante. Uh, he's there to sign some autographs, take a few pictures of a few fans, and then they lock eyes briefly across the restaurant. Uh, Peanut Butter thinks, and then calmly calls her, to which we get the gag of the episode, a fantastic joke yet again about Diane's ringtone. It's the full opening credits to Serial with the real Sarah Koenig providing the voice to suggest that she's getting a call told over several ringtones in the exact way that she would do that iconic Serial introduction. Diane eventually answers the phone once we've had time to catch our breath from that gag. Uh, and they have an awkward stilted conversation uh, about where Diane's been. But Mr. Peanut Butter, as quick as he can, turns it into how he's just lost some batteries. And it's his sweet way of asking her to come home. Can she come home and help him find the batteries? Um, it's that sort of, well, if you insist, Diane feigns looking on a website. And it turns out, oh, yes, she can get a plane home from mm. Cordovia tonight. She can be home for tea time, as it were. Um, she's clearly incredibly relieved that she's going to be able to get home. And that, without the visual payoff of them going home together, is where we leave Diane in peanut butter for season two. It's the polar opposite of season one. It's not a wedding. It's not spectacular. It's not a grand gesture. Uh, it's not very Mr. Peanut Butter, in truth. It's very understated, but it's very sweet. And it's the smallest, it's a smaller win than Princess Carolyn's, but we've seen Diane at her lowest ever right before this. So in contrast to that, it felt very necessary for giving Diane a platform to start season three, maybe with something better. In this instance michael a wonderful setup this and i'm going to walk through the door that has been presented to me because in this particular scene diane throws the dog a phone <laughs> and equally the dog is the one who is throwing her a bone how wonderful is that and we are left assume they both go for a walk and they go for a lovely walk <laughs> to the park, but then, but then they promise they're going to take you to the park, and then it's raining, you can't go to the park. <laughs> you get really upset. No, genuinely, this is such a heartwarming thing because Diane has been putting this off and putting this off because she's afraid of having to go back to reality and face the reality of having that conversation that she specifically said she doesn't really want to have right now. She just It's a long conversation. She knows she's got to have, but she didn't want to have it. And circumstances have happened, and peanut butter in the most rom-com way possible i think it's fair to say mm. kind of just gives her this lovely lifeline which really warms your heart with the whole thing because it's it's a difficult thing everything that's happened with diane's been tough it's been a tough season for diane and equally i think peanut butter has struggled without her so yeah. he loves her that much he's prepared to just be like i don't really care why you're here i just want you to come home and it's it's really nice that isn't it it's funny as well because obviously we've as we always do, I suppose, you live a lot of the show through Diane. And that's been hard when she's been there at Bojack's struggling and, and slumming it, but you're willing it to kick out. But Peanut Butter, yeah, kind of like pushed her out the door to Cordovia. There were issues in their marriage that they believed they could solve by having a bit of space. And maybe that has actually happened. This bit of space has taught them both what they need in each other. They're both nurtured very clearly by this phone call in a way that hadn't happened before she left for Cordovia. In hindsight, the Cordovia decision looks like one born out of desperation rather than by personal growth of what she told herself. Similarly, Peanut Butter's the trappings of fame that has come from Mr. Peanut Butter from getting the game show, from getting his, his foot back in the Hollywood door, have been temporary because that's what they are. 
Yeah. He's so much closer tethered to reality than uh, Bojack is. That remains the case, as has always been the case. And in being tethered to reality, he's maybe realised what he's missed, and that's why he's thrown that lifeline. It's it's a really sweet coming together of the two. And it doesn't as well, it doesn't, I don't think anyway, try to tell you that things are just magically fine. Mm. Uh, Bojack Horseman, the show with the talking horse, the talking dog, the um, sex-obsessed dolphin pop star, is still rooted fundamentally in reality. Yeah, Blow, Blowholes are getting bleached but serious conversations are getting breached. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And the, the world's still spinning on. It doesn't matter what's happening to our mm-hmm. usual truth teller, Diane, who's having the worst time in the world. The machine continues spinning. It doesn't matter. It won't wait for the players. The game is the game, Michael. Only the players change, <laughs> as we once found out in another wonderful TV show. Um, but assuming that is your everything for... That is my lot. That is my lot. For, excellent. So for we found two. out... That is it for season, season two. two. Can you believe it? Obviously, we will. I should point out, just before I dive into the horse and around segment of this show, a quick reminder again, if anybody would like to get questions in, because we will be doing a season two recap, much like we did for season one, that will be coming next week. So we can dive right into where everybody started and where they ended up and all the ins and outs. We will do it. And I'm very much looking forward to that. I do enjoy those ones because they're a lot yeah. more free-flowing than these. Uh, not that I don't like this, of course, because if they weren't structured, then we wouldn't be going back to the next <laughs> segment that we call Horse and Around, where we go through the entire show, the entire show, the entire episode of this week and pick out all of the hidden meanings behind things, the small details you might have missed, all the little Easter eggs that were just tucked away for us to pick out from the show. So let's go back to the very beginning. I will say that I think these first ones were more just me loving what I was watching on the split screen we go to between mm. Diane and Peanut Butter. I've already mentioned it, but Mr. Peanut Butter has a wonderful giant head alarm clock that is his head <laughs> from HSAC, WDTK, DTK, TLFO. I think that's right. That's right. It's, it's wonderful. And it's the way he says it. Wake up. Somebody loves you or something the alarm clock says. <laughs> it's, such, it's such a dog thing, isn't it? It's such a dog thing. Um, there's a wonderful little gag throughout here. There's, Diane has a rule of three. Her ideas, she talks into the dictaphone over the course. I will sort of, I'll just put them all together and jump the um, the order of them a little bit just because it makes it easier. She has three ideas throughout the cold open pretty much. Or one, one just after, I should point out. But she says, she has a movie idea. What are pizza boxes thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a film I'd watch, to be honest. I will, I will tell you that. She also says, an idea for an app. An undo button that can undo long amounts of time, which I'm sure <laughs> all of us would probably yeah, like yep. in some way, shape, or form. And finally, she says, as Princess Carolyn turns up to give her a bit of a bollock, and that's why she's still at Bojack's house. An idea for a thing Princess Carolyn should do. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so three corkers there from Diane. I think we can all agree. Maybe she should stay in this state for a little longer. Um <laughs> Another notable thing, Mr. Peanut Butter is obviously doing his show and just living normal life. He has got a guest on the show. It is, of course, Lance Bass, Michael, who is, of course, Lance Bass from NSYNC. And, of course, Michael, he's a bass. He's a fish. Goddamn fish. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he is. What else was he going to be? As you mentioned, Peanut Butter was also spotted saying, Erica, where did that tooth come from? Which (laughs) takes our Eric out to nine. Is that for the whole show or for the... That's the whole show. The whole show. Fantastic. Few, few less this season, I think. Mm. Uh, we also got a lovely spot, which we've already mentioned, of just Diane sitting on on in Di- sorry, Mr. Peanut Butter sitting in Diane's spot on the roof. I just thought it was really lovely. A dog waiting for its owner to come home. Love that stuff. Uh, back to Bojack's house then, and once again we see, as we've noticed throughout here, 
the baboon is running again at the start of this episode, running down the hill. We've spotted him again. He will pop up again later on in this episode. And we go off straight away to the orphanage from there, pretty much. And there's a good little one here. So I'll give you two first. The painting on the wall that they've used to, of Bojack when it's first initially going to be the Bojack Horseman Orphanage. They have, of course, used it's the still of him sneezing on Marissa Tomei. Oh, what a spot. But they have painted it as Bojack. It's beautiful. <laughs> Spit coming out of his mouth. Truly Tremendous. wonderful. And also, there's a pig there who's the paparazzi who's come to cover the day. And it's the same pig you may remember from season one who was holding onto the red balloon who floated off into the air and eventually came back down, I think, towards the end of the season, if I'm not mistaken. He's back in business on his, <laughs> on his legs. No more pigs flying, but he is taking pictures. Michael, there's a one that may be a reach here that you can perhaps clarify for me. But as you pointed out, Ricky Gervais is a guest star in this episode. He is the, the guy who's helping to organise and run the orphanage. He's a hedgehog, Michael. So we could probably call him Prickly Gervais. Eh? Eh? Prickly Gervais or... or go on. Wernham Hogg, the paper company that David Brent owns in the office there or runs go. in the office. He's a, a Wernham hedgehog. Multiple Prickly Javis of Wernham Hog. There you go. Just for anybody who wanted a deep dive. That's what we do in this podcast. We give people extras. <laughs> Very good. I'm not going to try and top that. That was a real <laughs> Um Birch Bar and Tavern. Birch Bar and Tavern we go off to and we find two things here. Lovely stuff. You may remember from the, I think it was last week's episode, we had the two parents and two push chairs. One of them was a human and her child. The same pram that Bojack continuously seems to be stealing throughout this show. And, and next to them was a baby bird and a, the bird's mother. And the baby we, the bird we saw growing up throughout the episode, hatching out of the egg and stuff. Well, we get another evolution of that because on this one, we get a quick shot of them outside the tavern. And the baby bird just decides to fly off because it's, oh. it's, it's old enough, Michael. It seems to just develop the ability to fly and it buggers off and the mother is absolutely mortified, as you my would kid, be. My kids are getting older and I can't deal with them ones anymore. I, can't, I, don't want to, I don't want to know those in season six. So I can't bear to think how old they've gotten. I know, God. What are they going to be like? And it just reminds me of climbing out my bedroom window as a kid. Not that I'm trying to put <laughs> more torture and terror there for the future. But also another wonderful gag inside of Bert's Bar and Tavern. When Todd is talking to Copernicus, they're sharing cocktails and they're drinking... Copernicus swills his drink before having a drink of it, and Todd is doing the same. But as he swills the cocktail, all of the little fancy things that are on top of it just go flying out the top <laughs> one by one. They disappear until he's just drinking a drink with nothing in it. Um, we go back to uh, Tail Tob's office now, and the two nerds who he talks about who are presenting the 3D model of Bojack Horseman they managed to get, um, they look like one another. I think we might have mentioned this already, but maybe not. One's a person, and one is, I believe, either like a badger or a raccoon who looks identical to the person. It's weird the way they've done it. <laughs> they look like each other, but the one's an animal, one's a person. Someone can probably clarify what animal, in fact, that is. But then we have precedent for this, obviously, because of Penny and Trip. Like in, Kylan, Kylan yeah, the kids, you have, you have obviously animals and humans live together and live together. Make, it's of their own kind. Yeah. Indeed. So they could well be brothers. Who knows? Um, the giggle ship we go to next, and. Um, there's a lovely bit when you first see the establishing shot of the giggle ship. You see all of the humans are coming in on the boat on the left. <laughs> they're on land and they're walking across a dock going in one door. The camera slowly pans across and we see another door, Michael. And all of the creatures who are sea humans, if you want to call them, are all <laughs> walking out of the sea up and in through the door because that's their entrance, which I thought was great. And just next to them, you can see 
the lifeboats for the boat, which are actually called chuckle dinghies. Because <laughs> 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 I don't know if you've heard, Michael, but this is the giggle ship, so everything's a laugh. Um, we go to bigger offices just quickly. I want to just basically replug how good that gag was where they just are in the lift after Rudabega says, and you can stroke my big, hairy... Well, we burned that bridge. <laughs> Such wonderful delivery from Princess Carolyn there. And, to be fair, even though he's a twat from Rudabega, <laughs> the one good thing he maybe does in this episode. We go to Copernicus's quarters now on the giggle ship. Before we get into his proper quarters, we see a Wayne Brady poster on the wall that's fluttering along, like you say, from uh, Shawshank when there's the hole in the wall. Wayne Brady, of course, the improvisational comedian who you will probably know from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. A mass inspiration, apparently, for Copernicus, or just a good distraction. Who knows? <laughs> this one took ages, this one, because what does Todd find when he gets into Copernicus's quarters? He finds the 101 Butt Jokes book. Now, it is so small, and so fractional that I must have spent a good 10 minutes on this. Um, but on the 101 butt jokes, you will be able to read a few things that are on the back. And as you first turn the book over, you'll see there's a little bit about the author, Michael. <laughs> little descriptive part about the author. And the little first bit of the blurb is um, is that, and a few names you might notice in here, Glutia Hammerwalt <laughs> is a world-renowned writer and botologist based in New Calafesia, she has she has innovated the fields of panting, spanking, and mooning. And if you read below, it says critics say it's a gas as two arse cheeks <laughs> puffing out the uh, the bubble that the words are in, a green gas bubble. And then there's two more reviews at the bottom that says one says the best tuckers ticklers around, and that comes from Hugh Jass, who's obviously a well-known reporter. And the other one says. Get off your haunches and read these raunchy gags. And that is from a famous person from another show, you may recall, Seymour Butts. Very nice. <laughs> Very good. But 101 Butt Jokes needs 101 Butt Authors, apparently. <laughs> um, we go to the Secretariat screening. And uh, there's quite a few bits here. Um, in First of all, you may notice at the end of the film, there's a lovely in-memoriam thing pops up. In memory of Corduroy Jackson. Jackson, the man, of course, who was a big fan of the blue face blast, the choking of the chicken, the one hand on the Adam's apple, the one hand on Adam's banana, etc. <laughs> etc. Uh, and also, a little in memoriam, to Deborah's old face. <laughs> oh, RIP. Because who could forget? Oh, um, damn it, Diane. Oh, oh, God damn it, Diane. You had one job. It's <laughs> <laughs> also, if you'll notice in the audience of the people watching the screening, is the two dogs who we've seen the two best friend dogs from season one who were in the supermarket in season one, episode two, who were saying, mm. I can't, can't keep eating chocolate. It will literally kill me. We've seen them in a number of other scenes. Somehow they've made it into this audience. I don't know how. And I've also just written here a lovely nod, as we've mentioned, to Bojack saying, what am I doing here? Because what is he doing there? He hasn't got a clue. Um, Another quick, brief one. We go to the escape from LA, which is, of course, Bojack's boat. As he's driving or sailing towards Todd, I should say, you'll notice a couple of dolphins are jumping up next to him and jumping out of the water and dropping back in. But those dolphins are wearing suits, Michael, because they're on the commute to work. Because oh, of course. <laughs> dolphins, dolphins got a dolph, I guess. <laughs> uh, we go to Elephante, which is a place I feel like we haven't really been too much this season. Mm. But... We go there, and of course, just we see Prince, Princess. Let me let me uh, just adjust my vocal cords. Yeah, <clears throat> Sextina Aquafina. <laughs> we see 
is an Elephantia from season one, of course. She's uh, gonna. She's obviously the the girl we see who is closely mimicked alongside Sarah Lynn in season one. Mm. And uh, in the background, though, as she's talking, if you notice the TV by the bar, you'll notice there's a wonderful and familiar advert playing on the television because it's Todd's Guten Bourbon advert that's playing in the background. We see it play out properly for the first time, and it's actually quite good. <laughs> um, also, just over the back of um, what I would believe to be Diane's shoulder, you, you might actually know it's not. It's when Diane and Peanut Butter are talking to each other, and we get this zoom-out shot either side of the room. In the middle of them, though, is Peanut Butter's accountant having dinner, Oxnard, just took it into a oh, dinner yes. with a friend very quietly. Peanut Butter doesn't even say hello to him, though. What a horrible dog. <laughs> um, they go back to the, the giggle ship, and there's a bunch of people in the audience of this of the giggle ship improv um, show who you might recognise. We get the Hammer Time Shark, who you may remember from the Hammerhead Shark, who was banging his head off the set to um, help build the set for oh, yeah. Hollywood stars and celebrities. What do they know? Do they know things? Let's find out he was there doing that. There's also the crane, or maybe eagle, I can't remember which kind of bird it was, from episode nine, you may recall, who had a broken wing in the airport, hence the reason they were on the plane that Diane was on, coming back from Cordovia. Yes. But, of course, time has passed, Michael, and his wing's all better now. So oh, he doesn't have, doesn't have the pink cast on anymore. And also... There's a fish there who was from season four who was in the A&E uh, when Bojack and, and Wanda went there to take the, the deer that they hit with the car. Oh, that same fish is there, although he seems he may have managed to get the hook out of his mouth that was in the... When he, was, <laughs> he was sat in A&E back on that episode and also hasn't really seemed to have changed his clothes because he's still wearing the T-shirt, Fish Happens, <laughs> which again feels appropriate. Tiny bit of note, yeah. Just a little bit of trivia for you, Michael, that we will remember for the rest of the show. Todd is 24 years old, as yeah. is alluded to by Bojack in the episode. And another wonderful thing, as they're trying to escape the giggle ship, you will see the man with the flat cap, who we've seen throughout season one, season two, usually has his flannel shirt on, but doesn't this time. He's got his uniform on because he's part of the improv group, which is definitely not a cult. And he's talking, Michael, to a bird outside. And just as him and the bird are having this conversation, Bojack and Todd burst through the doors and whack this bird with the door and squash it against the wall. Can you believe it, Veronica, the poor PA? Oh, no. She's been hit by the door so many times in this season already. She was working on the show. HSAC, WDDK, DTK, TLFO. She's been hit by a door again, Michael. I only think what she's going to look like without them feathers once <laughs> again. Uh, I've also written down here about if you die in improv, you die in real life, a Matrix reference. But again, as you pointed out, Rick and Morty references in there too. And I just love that line. I'll say it again. Letting you stay with me was the best thing I ever did on purpose. Genuinely, that filled me with a little, little bit of glee, that did. Um, back on the escape from LA, Bojack's boat as they sail back to his house. Just a nice bit of continuity for you here. Bojack is calling Princess Carolyn, or certainly receiving a phone call from Princess Carolyn, on his smashed phone, because as you'll remember, when he was off visiting Charlotte in New Mexico, he stomped on his phone, didn't he? Well, he finished the phone call with her, and it seems it hasn't had it fixed yet. But it does give us a brilliant gag, because when Princess Carolyn's calling, the phone, the phone screen is so cracked that it just says, Prince. <laughs> He's getting a phone call from Prince, which is wonderful. Love that. Love that a lot. And I don't know... Timing wise, let me just quickly check. Was Prince had Prince passed away at this point? And is oh, that just a nice 
think was we 2014? Lost, I think we lost Prince in 2016. It was 2016. It was the same year as Bowie, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So it would have been a little bit later. I thought that might have been just a nice nod there, but it's just a little bit too early. But never mind. We'll give it anyway because it's Bojack. Why not? I like the idea that he was in his phone book. It's nice he to know they, they kept company once or twice. Just had him on, on speed dial. Yeah. She's going to call him up anytime he fancies being his lover or if the boat was going to suddenly <laughs> become a little red Corvette of some noise. Um, back to Bojack's house, and I just need to say this line again because it's just so bloody wonderful. It's, of course, the baboon who says to Bojack, it gets easier every day. It gets a little easier, but you've got to do it every day. That's the hard part, but it does get easier. And with that said, Michael, that is everything for, well, Almost everything, as we always say. That's everything for us and around, but there is still time for one last thing, and then I swear to God I'll shut up about this podcast forever. I believe you might want to go first this time, don't you? Yeah, mine's really stupid. Good. Go with you. Um, the one <laughs> you do a, are always stupid. <laughs> there is a gag very early on in the show that is, I believe, Ricky Gervais as the, the prickly hedgehog, prickly Gervais, trying to do a David Brent joke as the boss of this orphanage. It's it's bad patter, is the only way I can think to describe it. Uh, Bojack, in referring to himself as a hero, uh, he goes, hero? Or is that gyro? I just call him subs. Obviously, in relation to the sandwich, the gyro. Um, later on, Herb is revealed as gerb. Yeah. And there is a weird case here of replacing G's with H's with G's. Yeah. At the start of the episode for a crap joke, at the end of the episode for a typo as made by Bojack. <laughs> got the pack right now, but we might as well just stick with it. It's a very stupid thing that they put in very early in the episode in order to make it seem like it makes sense to the purveyor of crap jokes at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've stumbled across something that I was going to touch upon because I realised that I was going to have to do two this week because yeah. as you may recall, I had uh, missed out on one last thing last week because I was never going to top not Penny's board and... <laughs> Also, it had nothing to do with the fact that I had not actually got one for that week. But having said all that, you've tied in quite nicely to something I wanted to mention because I thought this was so cleverly done. What was Herb's entire legacy, basically, was just being a hack writer, wasn't it? It's like yeah. a hack writer. And how fitting is it that there's an entire orphanage that will now be named Jerb's, or Jerb Kazaz's uh, orphanage? <laughs> A hack bit of writing by a bunch of people who just settle on it because everybody's used to it. And they've printed the T-shirts now, so it's already too late, which is is sort of uh, symptomatic of what we're seeing in Hollywood in particular. It's a, it's a nice little nod as well to all of the um, the banners that Mr. Peanut Butter ever gets made, isn't it? How communication seems to be lacking across, across Hollywood in general. <laughs> but my second one for this week is one that I enjoy a little bit more. I may have sort of touched on it earlier in the season, but... I do want to mention it again because I feel like it rings true here. The baboon who we've seen running throughout this season, what a great little addition he's been. I think you said it before this podcast. He's been in the background for so long that he's become a foreground character to us, mm-hmm. pretty much. Uh, he's been at the start of a lot of episodes. He's opened episodes. And you will have noticed that at the beginning, he's running up the hill in this season. Certainly we've noticed. And we have. I can't confirm this because we are kind of going from memory. But there's, I feel like there's a very distinct point in the in the season where the baboon starts to run downhill. And when he's running downhill, everything in Bojack's life is completely following. We did sort of mention this last week, but I think it's it's more symptomatic because he's running up the hill for almost what feels like the first half. Mm. Then he's running downhill for almost what feels like all of the second half. But the beautiful thing about this baboon, Michael, is his timing is 
everything. And what do we see at the very end of the episode as Bojack himself is now trying to run back up the hill and we get the fact that there is still going to be a little bit of hope for Bojack. Maybe, just maybe, the baboon has indeed ran up the hill once again because it does get easier, Michael. You just have to do it every single day. Every day. And that's the way it is. So hopefully Lovely, that, one. I like that, that one. might touch your little heartstrings there because, and of course, let's not forget, Bojack Horseman is better than the show you like and better than everything else. So it probably is ringing true <laughs> like that. And I just love how it feels like such a good way to tackle mental health done subtly and tastefully that in a way, which is, which, I, and for anybody who follows this show will know how big it is to a lot of fans. That is one of the standout moments in the show a lot of people always go back to it because it's so impactful and heavy hitting anyway with that said let me just quickly plug our little plugs and then we'll let you all get away and get excited for the recap that's coming mm. next week you can follow this podcast at podcast horseman on twitter and instagram please do send us your questions for the next episode we have well we have about a day and a half because we're going to be recording this in a day and a half's time because we're getting a jump ahead of that big recap episode. So if you do have anything you'd like to know about season two or indeed just the show in general up to this point, we have to say we can't answer anything past the point because we are indeed a spoiler-free podcast, but please do. Or if you just want to get in touch with either of your hosts, you can do just that on Twitter. You can find me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can find Michael Hamlet. At Michael Hamflit. You can uh, find the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We would love it if you hit subscribe. Subscribe is one of the many things that Apple seem to like about getting us up in charts and getting us up in rankings and all that sort of stuff. We'd rather it be about words, but sometimes it's also got to be about numbers. Uh, you can also follow along on Spotify. You can listen on Aircast. You can find us on Stitcher. I believe you can get us on Deezer. There's every sort of obscure podcast app going. Thankfully, Podcast Horseman is on it. We'll also be there every Friday on Twitter at the Podcast Horseman feed through Aircast. And if you want to leave us a five-star review you may find yourself inducted into the hollywood talk of fame which is exactly what the wonderfully named uber ninja did thank you uber ninja, for, your, <laughs> for your five star review uh, uber ninja says as good as the real show just started listening to the podcast started the rewatch from the start again to coincide with the podcast and remembering just how good it is love the podcast and letting me find all the jokes i missed the first two times around love to hear that uber ninja nice to think of you watching it for this third time and I look forward to there being more and more watches for this when we finish recording. It's certainly one that we like to think holds up. Thank you for your review, Uber Ninja. It's Star on Hollywood Talk of Fame. We'll be winging its way to you through all the usual places very soon. Absolutely. And for anybody, again, I will plug it one last time. And just because I wrote this out and I really enjoyed writing it, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> You can grab our attention with your question suggestions at a place less pedestrian than an equestrian stuck in detention with indigestion due to yeast congestion in the small intestine if you'd like to get a mention. And my head is about to explode. You're about to fall asleep. So am I. So let's call it a day. As always, I have been Adam Nicholas. And what a wordsmith you are. Looking at this computer is giving me the blues. I've been Michael Hamflet. <laughs> and this has been Podcast Horseman. 